for us. We are so glad really officially transferred again, probably uh, want to serve him. So greetings from Grace Church in Rapid City. Well, this indeed has been a long road, has it not? As has already been mentioned, we were brought far in this church by Mark, pastor of over 30 years, uh, leaving big, big shoes to fill as far as his commitment and service to Chef Church. It was an honor for me to follow on his heels uh, for that short 18 months. It went so much faster than I ever thought it would. And then uh, to have um, a very close friend of my own, Tyler, to follow, um, Brian and and Ryan, who stepped in, and I'm sure other elders as well. And I think what, as, as tough as it maybe has been, it has strengthened us as a body. It has strengthened you as an elder board, as a team of leaders, to, to truly understand that role. Well, I'm glad that you are here to celebrate with us today. And in light of this, I wanted to just say, I've been given permission twice now because of the time change uh, from elders of the church to disregard that clock or actually follow that clock. So uh, you might get a double portion today here. Um, But I'm, I'm so happy to see you. And and I really just want to utilize this time really as a family to, to bind ourselves together around what the Word of God would have to say about what we are doing today. I want to utilize this time first and foremost to issue a charge to Dirk and Katie who have so graciously come and agreed to serve the Lord in this capacity for this time. But I also want to issue a charge to Chef Church. And focus upon both not only the responsibilities of the shepherd to the sheep, but the responsibilities of the sheep to the shepherd, for it is a two-way street, the ministry. And so I want to ask and answer two very important questions today. What are those responsibilities of the shepherd to the sheep? And what are those responsibilities of the sheep to the shepherd? And this text, which is before us today, 1 Timothy 5, if you're not there already, 1 Timothy 5, in a power-packed, action-packed verse 17, we really have the answer to both of those questions. And we're going to work through this text together as a team today and commit to the principles that are established in it. If you're taking notes this morning, I'm going to give you five components of this text, five aspects of this verse that speaks to the key elements of biblical leadership and biblical followership. You cannot have leadership without those who follow. You cannot have those who follow without a leader. And this verse gives us five aspects, five components, which I believe, if understood correctly, will give this church and this pastor and really this community, really, when we consider the impact of a church in a community, every recipe for success under God as he defines it. Let's jump right into the text this morning here. We're going to look at these five components. Read along with me, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. May God bless the reading and hearing of his inspired, infallible, and authoritative word this morning. We begin here with our first point right out of the shoe. I don't want to waste any time. Verse 17 gives us the first of our focus today, and that is the elders. The elders. 
It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. I just want to explain briefly this term, elder. It is the Greek word presbyteros. It appears in First Timothy, I'm sorry, Titus 1.5, and this, uh, as well as this verse here. And this word typically is translated elder. The concept is of Jewish origin. It has ideas tied to the synagogue and usually has an aspect of those individual men who were older, uh, a little bit weightier, and a a little bit uh, emphasizing age and maturity and dignity. Now, we have to be careful here because you can be very young and still be an elder. We know that Timothy was probably in his mid-30s, and you recall his job was to appoint elders in Ephesus. So here we have maybe a mid-30-year-old appointing uh, other elders. So that's the idea of presbyteros. And there's actually a whole denomination named after this, the Presbyterian denomination, that style of leadership, which includes elders. Episkopos is another word we see in the text, not this text, but in other texts around associated with it, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 7. This is translated overseer or bishop. This means to look over something, to watch over something. This is of Greek origin and likely has the idea of the many echelons of the Greco-Roman rulership at the time, different levels of authority and different perspectives from those levels, and the episcopoi would, would look over things, they would oversee things. And so we see these two terms as well in this study. And then the third term that we see in the area of biblical leadership is the word poimain. This word is used throughout uh, the New Testament, and it is often translated pastor, shepherd. Uh, Today we might call this person a pastor teacher, or a minister, or a teaching elder. Whatever the case is, whatever these words, whenever they appear for us, we must understand that the collective picture of biblical leadership is all three of these terms. These terms, I don't have time today, but I could take you on a tour of scripture where they are all used interchangeably. If you are a pastor, you're an elder. If you're an elder, you're an overseer. If you're an overseer, you have shepherding responsibilities at your hand. So the terms are all used interchangeably. In fact, Philip Lycan says, we are bound to conclude from the biblical usage that there is no difference in rank among the elders of the church, and that therefore hierarchical forms of church government go beyond the teaching of Scripture. And he's right on that. And as we work together as an eldership team, we must understand that there's no boss elder. There's no boss pastor. We, we come as equals to the table. Now, there are functional roles that will look differently, right? There will be more public roles for some elders than others and for some pastors than others. But, but we see this as an equal playing field. It is what is known as the parity of the elder. And by the way, let me add one more sub-point under this first introductory point, that whenever you see elders in the scripture, you always see them in plurality. You never see a one-man show. God typically will use one man, one leader, in in the sense of, of of a more pronounced role, but he's never alone. All throughout Israel's history, there were elders. All throughout the New Testament, when you see these terms, it was a plurality of elders. No No one's the boss. No one's calling all the shots. And this is important on an eldership team as you come together and as you join this eldership team, Dirk, that you understand that you're one serving among many and that everyone else takes that exact same role as well. This is very important. 
I have often said that I would rather have there be zero elders than one elder in a church. One elder, elder who thinks he's the boss, who thinks he's the king, who thinks he's going to call all the shots. It shall not be this way among you, our Lord says. We are here to serve. So this is the definition of the elders. It is a pastor. It is an overseer. They don't come with fancy robes. They don't come with fancy collars. They don't come with fancy titles. They don't come with fancy pedigrees. These are men coming with the servant's cloth and basin, ready to serve. This is our definition. And Dirk, you have a wonderful, wonderful team to work with in these elders who understand their role as elders. Well, that's our first point here from the text. It says, let the elders who rule well. Let's move to the second point here, and that is the expectation. Having seen the elders, what is the expectation? Well, the text tells us the expectation. Verse 17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. You must rule well. Just because you're in this position... Just because you hold the title does not mean you necessarily respect that title properly. You must demonstrate an expectation of ruling well. This is your designator. This is your delineator. This is the expectation. Leadership has an element of excellence to it. We must pin this down as a place to hang our hat permanently. That if you step into leadership in this church, in Christ's church, that you step into an arena of excellence. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. This limits it to a very rare individual or individuals who applies himself to the ministry to the degree of excellence. Now, there's a general function here involved in this expectation here, a general expectation. The text says, let the elders who rule. There is a ruling aspect to this. Now, I need to explain this word. It is the Greek word proistemi, and this word means to give attention to something. This word means to preside over something. It can be translated to rule. It's probably best to understand this word as to superintend or to watch. You could translate it to direct, to maintain, to guard, or to care for. In short, you could say that this word captured within it is the idea of directing the affairs of the church. The word is broken down with two smaller words. It's, it's pro, which means before, and histeni, which means to stand. It means to stand before someone. It means to be in front of someone. It, it, it means to, to be a model before others, to stand at the head. And this is why, congregation, we need to always be willing to give our leaders a little bit of slack, although the standard is excellence, those who rule well. We have to also understand that those are the individuals who are stepping up to the task. Those are the individuals who say, well, I'll do it. I'll stand up. I'll be an example to the best of my ability by God's grace and by God's strength. And you know what's going to happen is there's going to be mistakes that will be made. There's going to be challenges that certain individuals have never faced before. There's going to be a growing process and a development process that we would give that matter of slack to anybody, but especially to our new pastor, who we understand has taken this position 
and is standing before us. Clearly, this word rule does not imply a harsh or aggressive or dictatorial style of leadership in that sense. No, instead it assumes a set of preset, well-established character. Character that cares about others. Character that cares about being a model and example to others. A character that, that seeks to positively impact others through a respected reputation, a proven track record, and uprightness and concern for one another. This general function of ruling, Paul says, must be done well. It must be done well. Kalos, nobly, honorably, rightly. Uh, we are to commit to this standard as we lead in the church. This, this church must have individuals, as this word is translated by the New American Standard, who lead beautifully, who lead commendably, who lead correctly, who lead expertly. So, Dirk, if you're wondering, well, how, how should, where do I start? Where do I begin? How do I start leading a church like this? Well, begin this. Do it beautifully. Do it commendably. Do it correctly. And, and, and do it in an upright, expertly manner. No pressure. <laughs> this is what you ought to demand, by the way. This is the standard to which we have been called to lead the people of God. Why? Because they're the people of God. They're the saints of God. They are the redeemed of Christ. They're not dumb sheep. I've heard pastors refer to people as, well, they're just sheep. They're just going to be dumb. They're just going to do what they... No, no, no. They're saints, and they shall be regarded as saints. That's the general function to rule well. How does this actually play out still under this second point of the expectation? Well, Scripture gives a number of particular functions of a leader, of elders, pastors, overseers, and we'll just list them very briefly. You are to feed and lead the flock, 1 Peter 5. You are to guard and oversee the flock, Acts 20, verse 28. You are to teach and preach to the flock, 1 Timothy 5, 17. You are to refute error, Titus 1, 9. You are to shepherd the flock, 1 Peter 5, Acts 20. You are to exemplify character, 1 Peter 5, all of 1 Timothy 3, all of Titus 1 with the, the elder qualifications. Those are the qualifications of a pastor. You are to pray for the flock, James 5. You are to participate in setting policy for the church, Acts 15. You are to appoint other elders, 1 Timothy 4. You are to equip the saints, Ephesians 4. And you are ultimately to give an account, Hebrews 13, 17, for the quality of the work that you provide for the people of God. So in summary, it's a tall order. And we are thankful for those who have stepped up to this high calling, the elders of Southern Hills E-Free, as well as the newly to be installed pastor as well. But expect this from your team, ladies and gentlemen. Don't drop the standard. It's really up to you to hold that standard and to encourage these men to continue it. That is the expectation. Having seen the elders, having seen the expectation, I want to move you now to a third point today, and that is the esteem. The esteem. Look at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor 
especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Paul is calling us to give a special and particular esteem known as double honor to those who take the day in and day out nuts and bolt tasks of feeding and leading from the word of God. Those individuals who do that well are to be judged worthy of double honor. This word esteem here means to consider or to judge worthy, to deem one deserving or fit for this assignment. And then to make an assessment as you are witnessing this assignment played out by your new pastor, to make an assessment associated with the quality of leadership that is provided in this setting. This is your responsibility. This is now moving from the responsibility of the sheep to the shepherd, uh, the shepherd to the sheep, rather, now the responsibility of the sheep to the shepherd. You are to make a judgment call. You are to make an assessment. You are to make an evaluation. And when your evaluation has determined that this individual is ruling well, it is now your responsibility, church, to deem them worthy of double honor. Double in the Greek is diplos. It just means twofold. Um, it may be a play on the double portion that we read about in 21, uh, Deuteronomy 21.17. The eldest family member would inherit the, the larger portion. It doesn't necessarily mean double in the sense of, um, well, it, 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 means, it means the greater portion is what it's referring to in this context. Uh, much greater in comparison, you might say. The lion's share. The cream of the crop of honor. You are to deem that individual worthy of this and place that upon those elders who rule well. Now I want to get really down to some nitty-gritty here for a moment because what Paul is saying here is let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. What does this word honor mean? The Greek word here used for honor is the word time. In fact, this is what the word uh, the name Timothy is based on. Any of you who know anybody named Timothy, the name actually means he who honors God. And so Paul to young Timothy is kind of playing a double, a double name here. He's referring to his name, which means he who honors God, but he's saying this is how we honor men as well. Now this can mean two things. Number one, this can mean to respect someone, to admire someone to esteem someone, to regard them highly, to revere someone. In fact, it's kind of a strange name. I don't know many people who would like to be called this, but some people will be referred to as, as pastors as reverend, right? Have you heard that before? Reverend so-and-so. And, and that is kind of an emphasis on the fact that we, we love you. We review you. I'm not saying we call Dirk Reverend, but you might want to. It's just an idea of saying we, we appreciate you and we recognize you. I think titles can be abused, especially in the modern church. I think we need to be careful with that. But the reality is we keep our titles biblically and we'll always be safe. Yes, there is a respect. There is an esteem that's involved here. When Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. And here's our word, verse 13. 
and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. That's probably one of the biggest gifts you can give beyond the esteeming of your new pastor is living in peace with one another. It makes his job and the other elders' jobs so much easier if you can live in peace with one another. And that is also a demonstration of esteem and, and proper honor. Certainly, to honor and respect someone is a proper interpretation of this verse. But there's an additional understanding here that we need to really come to grips with. And that is this aspect of honor to me can also mean value. Value. It can mean a price to be paid, a sum to be applied. This word in English from which we get the word uh, is from which we get the word honorarium. You've heard that before. This is a way in which you practically, tangibly honor those who work hard in the teaching and preaching of God's word. It means value. It means price. Now, I don't believe this text is demanding or requiring that we double the salary of the pastor. I'm not saying it means that. But I am saying that the man of God who rules well, who understands his role as pastor, as shepherd, as leader, as overseer, he is worthy of that. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm saying the man must be worthy of that, and you must transfer that honor in some way to demonstrate that. doesn't necessarily mean double salary, but it might mean the man's going to work twice as hard. It might mean the man's going to have twice the pressure. It might mean he's going to attempt to resolve twice the problems. Know this, that... This is the proper interpretation. This is a price to be paid. We're talking about financial remuneration here. I don't know what kind of agreement has been made with this, but I'm going to say this. Where is the pastor? Where is the pastor who will even speak about this issue for himself? Okay? Uh, Dirk and I have not had any... We just met today. But I am giving you... I am giving you the word of God on this issue, and I want to give you something that is a reality, a discouraging agent for many, many godly servants of the Lord here, is that they miss the second meaning of it. Oh, we'll honor you. Oh, yes, Reverend, we'll respect you. But you know what? You might have to go get a part-time job. You might have to take out some loans. You, you, You might have to fend for yourself in other areas. Not so for the people of God. Not so for the church of Christ. He is to be cared for. This is the proper interpretation. You say, well, how do you know that, Eli? Look at the next verse, 518. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. That's how you know this is the the proper interpretation. You shall not muzzle the ox. What does that mean? Well, the godless pagans of Israel's day were known for animal abuse. They were known to use and abuse their beasts of burden. Their beasts of burden who were serving them. The beasts of burden, the oxen, the strong, muscular beast of an animal who can get things done, right? Who can accomplish things for the master would often be muzzled because it's cheaper. You see, the the oxen would want to take a break once in a while. The ox would want to rub his hoof through the the chaff that was being crunched up on the the threshing floor. 
and, and he'd want to say, can I just get a second here and, and, and catch my breath a little bit? Could, could I just get a little snack? Could I just, I guess the equivalent would be, could I have a power bar? Because you, you give me a power bar and I'm good to go again. But what would happen is the godless, wicked people would, would muzzle their ox, who was central to the process of their productivity. And they'd muzzle the ox, and so he'd be hungry, and he'd be getting weaker and weaker in the role. And pretty soon, the, the masters would say, you know, this ox is slowing down. Oh, you think? Yeah, yeah, he's slowing down. Oh, I know what we should do. Let's whip him. Let's whip him. That'll get his attention. That'll get him moving again. And you know what? Being the good ox that he is, that gets him moving. That gets him moving, but it gets him moving just a little thinner, a little weaker, losing a little more muscle tone, and he's trying, and he's moving, and he slows down again, and so you whip him again. And you use him, and you abuse him to the point where he's shriveled down to nothing. And then you know what? You discard him. Thank you. You've served your purpose. Now, how about the next ox? Let's get the next one in line here. And you see, you repeat this terrible, terrible situation. God said, my people will not do that. We will not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Now, this, um, we, we, I don't want to get completely off track here, but you could jot down um, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 18. That is worth some thoughtful reflection on. In 1 Corinthians 9, this must have been an issue for the uh, apostle, there was a lot of things and accusations and a lot of uh, questioning of motives that were going on there. But in, in 1 Corinthians 9, we, Paul, not wanting to speak of this issue, he does. And he starts, uh, he starts asking a question um, in verse 6. Do Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Uh, what time, at what time... Does a soldier serve at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? He says, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he? He is speaking altogether for our sake. Yes, for our sake it has been written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things among you, is it too much if we should reap material things from you? He says, nevertheless, I didn't claim this right, but do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the fruit of the temple and those who attend regularly the altar have their share in the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a charge to care for your pastor. Oh, we're going to talk about his responsibilities in just a moment, but we're going to begin here with the underlying fact of him needing to be supported in this world. There's other scriptures I could take you to, 2 Corinthians 11 Verses 7 to 9, Paul says, I basically robbed other churches. I stole from these churches so that I would not have to be a burden to you. These are put here for our example to learn from. This is honoring your pastor. I was debating whether I was going to 
mention this, but it's just a sad story because, first of all, I don't think you, you have any concern in this area. I really don't. And I want to just commend you how generous you have been all through the years and have watched the giving, giving spirit of this church. And I just have to commend you before God for that spirit. This is not a scolding. This is a reminder of what the Lord himself has taught. But it's not always that way. You've heard me say this about Chef Church, that Chef is something very special. In fact, when I was talking with Dirk earlier on, we were talking about Chef Church and trying to learn some of the different characteristics of it and how this fit might, might blend and, and gel. And, and what, I didn't tell, what I didn't tell Dirk is that if you take Chef Church, you are probably binding yourself to one of the best-kept secrets in Western South Dakota. Yea, verily, probably the entire Midwest. I'm telling you that face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball. I have never seen a church like this before. I've never been part of a church like this before. And I know you will be well cared for. But this is not always the case. Christianity Today read a story once of a pastor from Montana named Steve with a wife and three children. Pastor Steve tried to make ends meet somewhere below the poverty line. For a while, his family managed to scrape by, but eventually the debts began to accumulate. At a certain point, Pastor Steve decided to spend a week of vacation taking a class at seminary. That's interesting. Use your vacation time to to study. The whole family decided, or the whole family was to drive to Colorado for a week. But just before they were supposed to leave, the transmission on their car went out and they received a surprise medical bill. The night before he planned to leave, Pastor Steve sat with his wife out on the house that they, uh, deck of the house they were renting and wept. There would be no trip. That week, the family vacationed in the basement of a relative's home several hours away. Listen to this. Eventually, Pastor Steve went to the church board to ask for a raise. The board grudgingly agreed to a small raise, but it was not large enough to meet the family's monthly expenses. The board thus recommended that Steve apply for assistance from Montana Power to help pay his utility bills. They also told him that if he needed more money, he ought to become a chaplain with the National Guard. It's only one week in a month, you know. The irony of it all was that the income of the church was exceeding expenses, and there was money in the bank to spare. Not surprisingly, Pastor Steve almost left the ministry. He considered moving to a city and looking for a job that would pay enough to settle his debts. He was a good man. He was not looking to lead an extravagant life. He was even willing to endure hardship for the ministry. But his own church led him into temptation by failing to meet his daily needs. That is a sad day, folks. That is a sad day when that happens, and it is even more sad that this incident now not only is in the record of Christianity today, but it's in the record of divine providence as an indictment upon those who do not prioritize their pastor in this way. Now, I'm not saying, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying every elder should be paid in the church. That's simply not tenable. I'm not saying ministers should go around acting like kings, acting like, well, I'm the crown prince, so dote on my every single need. I'm also not saying that pastors should not develop trust and faith in God and have these exorbitant salaries, which we also see elsewhere. They're not trying to live a life of luxury. 
I'm also not saying that there's not other creative ways where you can appreciate your pastor. Other ways which compensate him beyond the financial, like how you speak about your pastor, how you receive his instruction from the word, how you follow his counsel, how you embrace his leadership, how you embrace his wife and family. That, that to me is sometimes, all the times, way more valuable than a dollar. And how you honor him with your joyful service and joyful sacrifice to engage with him in the work of the ministry for his job is to equip you for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. Maybe a thoughtful note. Maybe a thoughtful gift. And yes, maybe reflecting that honor in a salary that is due the expectations of a minister. How much is that salary? That's between you and God. The rule of thumb, I think, is to offer an average salary that the average family could live on without being shocked with too little or shocked with too much, right? Because both can, both can be problematic. Yeah, I've seen pastors generating so much money that the the world in general looks at that and says, well, I don't even make a fraction of that. I guess I picked the wrong career. I'm going to go back to school because this thing makes money. And then I've seen others who really do struggle as the example that we've seen here. Just ask yourself these questions. Could I live on the salary that he's earning? Would I be able to take up residency in the home that he is taking up residency in? Could, could I drive the car without being embarrassed that, that he's driving? And could I, could I have the ability to give to the degree that I would want to give as a minister of the gospel to be that example and show the goodness of God? So these are just some, some questions that we need to ask. I've pounded away enough on that. I think the word of God is clear on that. That the elders who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor. But then we get to the fourth point, the effort. The effort. We're moving back now to the responsibilities of sheep, of the shepherd to the sheep here. Note what the text says. The expectation, the esteem, the effort, especially those who work hard. Especially those who work hard. This word especially is a superlative word. It's a higher category. And it's our first clue in the scriptures that there are probably going to be some elders who take care of the general business of the church. We know this. The administrative corporate elements of the church have to be handled. But there are those, especially those, it says, who work hard in preaching and teaching. This word work hard means to diligently labor, to weary oneself, to strain oneself, to labor to the point of fatigue and exhaustion. This means you're going to be tired. This means there's going to be long days. This means there's going to be long prayers. This means there's going to be long counseling sessions that put more than just a band-aid on somebody and say, there you go. Be warned and filled, but no, I'm going to engage with you. I'm going to walk with you in this. I'm going to be with you in this. This is the hard, hard work of the Christian ministry, and these are those who are to be given a special 
honor. This word, work hard, carries the thought of effort. It carries the thought of zeal. It carries the thought that, Dirk, this is going to cost you something. This isn't just a a vacation. This just isn't a job that you're going to take. This is going to cost you something. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be a little bit painful because hard work does generate pain. But you know what? It's the best pain you're ever going to feel, Dirk. It's the best reward you're ever going to get. It's going to be the most exhilarating exhaustion you're ever going to experience. But it will be work, mind you. Make no bones about it. It will cost you something. It will cost you your energy. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your thoughts. It will cost you incomparable pain at times when people betray you and people fail you and people are not who they need to be in Christ to you. But let yourself love them. Let yourself, let them fail. And they will let you fail as well. The ministry is not a nine-to-five job. And if you cannot sacrifice, you will never be a man who is used by God. So don't say, I want to be a leader for God, but I just can't seem to get away from the TV. I just can't seem to get away from the game. Now, leadership will cost you. Paul worked night and day. In parting, he said, not only the gospel, but my own life. It was like he bled into the congregations that he served. And that, that is the challenge before us. Oswald Chambers says, the church is run by tired men. And we will be tired men as we serve in the field of Christ. This is the effort. Having seen the elder, the expectation, the esteem, and the effort, I want to close with one final point today, and that is the edification. The edification. It's tied to the effort, but it clarifies that what he should be giving his effort to. Because, oh, let me tell you, pastors will give their efforts to everything, right? And you might want that. You might say, yeah, we like it. Dirk, do this. Dirk, do that. Dirk, take care of everything here. We finally got our pastor. And I'm saying we need to pay attention to the word of God here. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Here, your job description is narrowed. Now, we know this can occur preaching, teaching. This can occur in counseling. We know this can occur in visitation. We know this can occur in visiting the sick, praying for the sick. We know this can occur, oh man, going shooting in the hills with one of the members of the flock. Or, or, or having coffee at a coffee house. But if we so burden this young man with all of these little things, all of the administration of the church that will do nothing but suck and sap his energy, and then you say, well, why aren't we getting good sermons out of this guy? Listen, do you know, do you know that it takes, I believe, a skilled, trained man of God no less than 12 to 15 hours to prepare a sermon? Did you know that? You say, well, I thought pastors just worked one hour a week. Well, we need to think again. And then if you want him to, if you want him to preach two sermons a week, he's going to need 24 to 30 hours, if my math is right. I'm not always good at math. 24 to 30 hours just to be in that study. And by the way, we call it a study, Dirk. We don't call it an office. It's not an office. Like, this is not a business we're running here. This is the church of God we're leading. This is a study, and we call it a study because you must be faithful, working hard, 
at preaching and teaching. Preaching is the Greek word word, logos. It means word or message or speech or communication. The New American Standard translates this several times, preaching, speaking, proclaiming, saying, uttering. Use your words. This is the priority of the preacher. He is the mouthpiece for God. He is the mouthpiece for the church. He is the mouthpiece, if he's faithful to these scriptures, to this community of hot springs. He is to preach. He is to speak. He is to open his mouth. Let him preach. Let him speak. Let those words flow and give him confidence and build him up, church. He is called to work hard. He's called to that study, but you are called to honor him and let him grow. And out of his mouth will flow rivers of life if you allow this. Preaching, proclaim, herald that truth. But it also says teaching. It says preaching and teaching. Didascalia, from which we get the word didactic. It means instruction. It means teaching. Sometimes translated doctrine. Romans 12 says that this gift, the gift of teaching, Romans 12, 7, um, is a gift, in fact. And we are grateful for God, who's provided us with teachers. And Dirk will not be the only teacher here. There will be other teaching elders. But I'm reminded of 1 Timothy 4, backing up a little bit, in verse 6. Paul reminds Timothy in pointing these things out to the brethren. You will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. There's a nourishment that has to occur in this man's life. There's a development And it must be done on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. Drop down to verse 13. How about 12? Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example to those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to doctrine. This, this, is our, this is the task. It's laid out before us. It's really not rocket science. And a lot of people veer off, and a lot of people have all kinds of reasons to introduce all kinds of stuff to the church. But really, this is the, this, here's the ingredients. It's really not rocket science. It's really not complicated when you give yourself to preaching and teaching. John Phillips makes the task easy. Listen to this. To divide the word of truth rightly, we must have a consistent hermeneutic. We must interpret the Bible not allegorically, but literally, taking into account the Hebrew and Greek languages of its birth and make allowances for its cultural, historical, geographical backgrounds against which it arose. We must pay attention to figures of speech, types, symbols, the chronology of events, the structures of each book, the harmony of scripture, and the significance of names and places. If we follow these guidelines, an adequate, comprehensive, consistent, and correct exegesis of the text should emerge from our study. The diligent student will build an ever-growing library of useful books, including commentaries, dictionaries, encyclopedias, atlases, histories, biographies, systematic theologies, works on comparative religions and the cults, word studies, and even good fiction. 
It means the man's going to need a library. He will extend his study into scores of discipline, including archaeology, geography, history, apologetics, astronomy, and languages. He will fill file drawers with illustrative materials called from extensive reading from magazines, journals, newspapers, and books. He will join libraries, subscribe to a variety of periodicals, attend lectures, and consult experts. In short, the diligent student will work. He will will fill his notebooks as he steeps his mind in the word of truth. Dirk, two words for you here. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. I mean, John Phillips makes it easy. He he, he outlines everything here. (laughs) This is why God proclaims to his dear people Israel in Jeremiah 3.15, Then... Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on wisdom and understanding. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you've been looking for? Haven't you been longing for a shepherd who says, feed me, will you please feed me some truth? Will you please give me something I can hang on to and bank on? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this, especially, especially those of you, can we say maybe veteran saints, Veteran saints who have walked with the Lord a long time, you've heard a lot of sermons. You've heard a lot of stuff. Uh, And you know, you may be, as we have even seen with our dear Dallas, we don't know what the future holds. We, We know what it could hold. But I'm telling you folks, this is what you need. Let free this man to be this man for you. Because as you reach that hour of ultimate trial. You know what I'm talking about here. That hour of ultimate faith when you have to hold on to everything you've ever trusted. Don't enter that hour weakling. Don't enter that hour having fed on wimpy, soft sermonettes for Christianettes where we say, get her done in 10 minutes, please, because I've got to get to the lake. Don't, Don't dare try to face the hour of your final trial a, a weak, soft Christian that has never been fed, that has never been trained in the Word of God. And Dirk, I believe, is the man for the hour. I believe he will deliver these goods. Well, I still have an hour, so <laughs> that was just the introduction. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. A couple chapters earlier, in 1 Timothy 3.1, it says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. It is a fine work because it is only in God's vineyard where your work will never be wasted, where your efforts will always pay off in some way, shape, or form. You may not see them right now. You may not appreciate them right now. But this is a place where your time and energies, where your thoughts and prayers for this dear congregation, and you can tell it is dear to my heart, it will always pay off when you invest in them in this way. It is this work that carries an eternal perspective with eternal results. 
and to, to know that you can labor in God's field and see these very lives transformed before your eyes. To see these very marriages healed before your eyes. To see grief of loss. And this church has lost. But to see that grief transformed back to the joy of our salvation. What else would you want to do? Where else would you want to be? To see believers walking in truth, growing up to becoming strong soldiers of Christ who defend the truth. To say nothing of the fact that it is this church that Christ has given his very blood for. He has shed his blood for these people sitting right behind you. This is an honorable task. And it is, requires those of the most honorable character, the best of men. And we regard you as this, Dirk, but don't let us down. Hold fast to these principles. Hold fast to the truth of God. And congregation, don't you let him down. Don't let him down because there's a thousand reasons, as I've said before, that will distract a man from engaging in the calling which you have just heard him called to. And there's 10,000 reasons that will discourage him once he puts his hand to the plow. Be aware. Be aware of that. And be a source of joy for Dirk and Katie. It was Woodrow Wilson, 28th President of the United States. When he had left his presidency, he was asked, what was the greatest honor and privilege of your life? Woodrow answered this question, the greatest honor and privilege of my life was serving as an elder in my church. Really, an elder. More than the leader of the free world, more than being in charge of the greatest superpower on the planet, yeah, that was okay. But being an elder in my church, that took the day. Walter Locke says, he who would play a leader's part on noble task has set his heart. No small task, it's a tall order, but we've seen today what an elder is, what a pastor is, what an overseer is. We've seen today the expectation. We've seen the esteem. We've seen the effort that needs to be applied and the edification that will result. This is the responsibility of the shepherd to the sheep. This is the responsibility of the sheep to the shepherd. And this is the leadership required to leave a lasting legacy that's going to take a lot of labor, but one that will advance Christ's name in this community like never before. One small verse on biblical eldership, one giant opportunity for this church. Let's live to this standard. Let's be this by God's grace, by his power living within us. We believe the man in your midst today desires to fulfill that role. By God's help and by your encouragement, he will do that. Well, at this point, I am going to move as we conclude our service. I'm going to ask both Katie and Dirk to please come forward. And um, I'm going to ask that uh, the elders, why don't you, yeah, just right there is good. I'm going to ask that the elders of the church would come and stand behind him. I would ask that you place your hand upon this couple in public affirmation 
of your receipt of him as a gift of God. If, if all of the elders would come, and I would also invite anybody that participated in the pastoral search team, if you want to, you don't have to come up, but if you feel like you'd like to register your uh, commitment here, and any other men in the church who feel like, you know, this is something that you want to do, there's no pressure either way, we are going to... Um, What I did here is I just made a little certificate. It's, it's nothing really special, just something I printed out here, but on this contains what will be Dirk's uh, oath of affirmation. Um, so what I would like to do is I would, I would like to read this and there'll be an opportunity for you to respond and as well as the congregation as well. Um, Okay, Oath of Affirmation and Pastoral Installation. Dirk Jaspers, do you promise by God's help to view your arrival to this congregation as a call from God himself to serve them, to lead them, to shepherd them, to pray for them, and to always teach them God's truth in love as long as God shall have you remain? If so, please signify by saying, I will. And to this church, as the body of Christ, do you promise by God's help to be faithful supporters of this pastor, to receive his leadership as a gift from God, to honor him, to care for him, to pray for him, and to heed his counsel and instruction in Christ as long as God shall have him remain? If so, please signify by saying, we will. We will. Based on the authority of God's word, the recommendation of the search team, the decision of the Board of Elders and the affirmation of this congregation, we do hereby install and appoint you, Dirk Jaspers, as pastor and teaching elder of Southern Hills Evangelical Free Church. Let us now give praise and thanksgiving to God for his wonderful, wonderful gift. I've asked uh, Brian to close us in prayer, and then we will move into, I believe, one final song. Am I right? Okay. Uh, if you would mind. Yeah. And then, gentlemen, if you would sign that at some point before the morning is over. Heavenly Father, I told Greg I knew how to use this, and I don't. Heavenly Father, um, you have said to us in your word from the book of Zephaniah, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty 